Uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to another episode of Goat Sessions. Uh, I am your host, your host Colton Franklin, going solo at it again. Uh, just some stuff I want to talk about today. We're going to talk a little about the Women's College World Series, which is actually going on right now. Uh, Oklahoma is up 2-1 over James Madison in the bottom of the fifth. Oklahoma's up to bat. Uh, James Madison with a shocking opening win against number one seed Oklahoma. Madison, James Madison is the only non-ranked team in the Women's College World Series uh, left in the Final Four. So both of these games today are elimination games, and then the championship series will begin tomorrow. Um, James Madison, they lost 6-3 to three to Oklahoma in the second meeting, so now they're just trying to, they're trying to come back, make their way into their first uh, Women's College World Series final. Um, then after this game, we're going to have number 10 Florida State versus number 3 Alabama. I do want to talk a little about that. Um, Florida State stayed alive against Alabama last night, or should I say this morning? Uh, they played till about three thirty a.m. Um, and they were at, they were actually scheduled to be the first game uh, at three o'clock today, but it looks like uh, the NCAA caught a lot of backlash for what was going on. Um, they made the right decision to move the Florida State and Alabama game back. Uh, and put James Madison in Oklahoma in that top spot, which I 100% agree with. Um, there's a lot of there's a lot of articles demeaning the NCAA for that, making them turn around 12 hours later to play. Um, but and since 2005, there's only been there's been five. So since seeding began in 2005, there's been five uh, national champions that have been at the number one seed. Um, so Oklahoma's looking to be number six, but James Madison is hanging on. Uh, hopefully, I'm really rooting for them just because they're a Cinderella story. I love rooting for Cinderella stories. Uh, but you know, we've got that going on. We've got we've also got the NCAA uh, baseball tournament has started. Uh, we're in regionals right now. Still a lot of regionals going on, um, and the biggest one for me, of course, is. The Arkansas regionals, uh, that's where I am. And Nebraska really took it to us last night. Uh, being able to being able to get us our bats. I don't know what's going on with Arkansas's bats right now. They're they've been one of the best. They've been one of the best lineups in baseball all year long. They've got one of the best pitching staffs in baseball, but it seems like in this one, they just really seem to not be able. I don't know what's going on with them, but in this entire regional, they seem to have not been able to get up um, with. They've been able to they haven't been able to get up with. And I don't know if it's the nervousness of the fans because no one's had they open bomb. They opened bomb Walker up. uh for their last series of the season against Florida. I was actually there during the second game walk-off that gave Arkansas the uh, overall number one seed in the SEC tournament. Uh, that game won us the SEC regular season title. We went on, Arkansas went on to win the SEC championship game. Uh, and they had a, their pitching, the pitching in the first game against NJIT uh, really seemed, not sure where it was, but, Dave Van Horn, the head coach, pitched eight different eight different guys in that game. So, you know, it was a kind of no one really got their rhythm going. Uh, 
Not sure who's going tonight for them, but no one really got their rhythm going. I think it was like five home runs in the game, though. Uh, so the bats were really rolling in that. And then you went to the second game against Nebraska uh, in the semifinal, and it was 5-1, to one, but Nebraska gave up 10 walks, and Arkansas really couldn't find a way to get the bats rolling and do anything about that. Uh, Nebraska would go on to beat NJIT 18-4, and then that set up the game last night against Arkansas. Nebraska ended up winning 5-3. to three. Arkansas had numerous, numerous scoring chances, but they just could not could not pull it off. And tonight they play at uh, 8 o'clock to see who moves on to the Super Regional and faces North Carolina State. Um, as of right now, Stanford and UC Irvine play tonight. Uh, UC Irvine with a big win last night to knock, to beat Stanford and set up an elimination game. Uh They'll face whoever wins between Texas Tech. Arizona's booked their ticket. Uh, Ole Miss and Southern Miss also play tonight. They'll play the winner of Arizona. And then you've got Vanderbilt and East Carolina both going undefeated in their brackets and being able to take it. Texas has advanced, uh, I believe. Or, or you're looking at a South Alabama, South Florida uh, championship game to see who faces Texas. Notre Dame and Mississippi State have already punched their ticket. Um, both the Fort Worth and the Columbia Regional uh, are still going. That'll actually Dallas Baptist and Oregon State are going right now. Uh, I haven't been able to check the score. Old Dominion and Virginia play tonight. Oregon and LSU. The winner of that faces Tennessee, who advanced in their regional. It's been a really exciting uh postseason for both NCAA squads, both the softball and the baseball, it seems like, especially now that fans are coming back. Actually, South Florida and South Alabama are 2-2 in the bottom of the fifth right now. South Alabama is the home team. Oregon State's up 5-0 over Dallas Baptist in the bottom of the fourth, so it's not looking well for Dallas Baptist. And Ole Miss is up 9-2 over Southern Miss in the bottom of the fourth. So, old games, so both games are a little under halfway. Um, but they're both the really the best game is looking like South Florida, South Alabama, which I really do want to talk about that series. Uh, so Florida, so Florida came into the regular season starting off this year. They were the number one overall uh, unanimous decision to be the number one seed overall. Uh, they ended the season at 15th. They ended up getting swept by Arkansas in the final in the final series, uh, and then they walked into their regional. And what was funny, I root for all SEC teams, especially in regional play, because I want to see how many SEC teams are able to make it. Um, so it'll be one of today will be one of the few times I'm rooting for LSU as an Arkansas fan, but. When you're telling me that Florida was supposed to be this big thing, and a lot of people still had Florida going deep in this uh, because the SEC is arguably – the SEC, no doubt, is the best conference in baseball. Uh, there's a lot of specul- – there's a lot of stuff going around, especially because of Danny – especially Danny Kelly saying, well, the SEC gets uh, special treatment when it comes to picking people to be in the postseason – but Florida really just bombed it. I mean, they showed. I mean, I don't know if it was just not ready for Kevin O'Sullivan, who was basically just said we got beat. You know, there's nothing that we could really do uh, except play better. And I really thought that that was, you know, he didn't make excuses, which they didn't really have any. They were 100% healthy. Uh, they lost five to three to South Florida in the five. 
I mean, the biggest takeaway they can make is they lost to the two teams uh, that are in the regional championship game right now. Uh, they lost five to three to South Florida, and then nineteen to one to South Alabama. Nineteen, an SEC team lost nineteen to one to South Alabama. I don't know how many college baseball fans are out there right now, but you guys, you you really need to think about that. 19 to 1 to a South Alabama squad that should have never even been close in that game. And now South Florida and South Alabama are both in the championship game of that regional. Um, I've really enjoyed the college baseball, um, the college baseball stuff. But what I've really been excited about, I didn't like it's been a while since I've gotten since I've gotten excited about this, especially last year because the bubble, I wasn't really into it. Um, but it's the NBA playoffs. And one series that I really want to touch on is I really, I really want to touch on the Dallas and the Clippers because if you look at it, so Doncic basically has been, has gotten the opposite output from his team that Nikola Jokic has gotten at Denver uh, and I compare those two because they're both two of the better offensive players in baseball or basketball, two of the better all around offensive players in basketball. Um, and they're, they don't really have a big supporting cast. Kristaps uh, Porzingis is supposed to be the second man for Doncic. That's not how that's not, that hasn't been the case. Uh, Porzingis has really become a liability for them. Uh, there was one play and I loved the, uh, I loved the the Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy rift where Porzingis got a big got a big steal and was dribbling down the court had a two on one opportunity and yet decided to pull up on the wing for a contested three instead of passing it down low to his man running on the break and Mark Jackson was like I love seeing that I love watch I love seeing Porzingis actually be aggressive and Jeff Van Gundy stated really you you like uh two-on-one pull-up threes on a break and you know i just couldn't help but laugh jeff van gundy was all was all over it this series and i mean if you look at it Przingis' stat line doesn't sound that bad 47.2 from the field uh he did only shoot 29.6 from three points he shot 84 from the free throw line but he was only taking maybe three a game uh, only 5.4 rebounds, 1.3 assists. He averaged 0.7 blocks. I mean, 13.1 points. They were negative 1.1 with him on the court. They weren't super negative except with like a Jalen Brunson. They were actually three plus 3.7 with Dorian Finney-Smith. The defensive energy that Dorian Finney-Smith brings, I think that he could help out a lot of teams, but I don't see Dallas sending him anywhere anytime soon. Um, but he's going to be – he's really – he's a nice little focal point defensive-wise. He brings so much energy. He fights so hard. Uh, but Luka, man, 35.7 points, 40% from three, 49% field goal overall. I mean, he was – he only shot – the ultimate – I mean, their ultimate downfall was their free throw percentage. I mean, if you look at – I mean, Luka was their leader in assists. He had 10.3, which was the leader in assists in the series. 35.7 was three points more than Kawhi Leonard, so leader in points in the series. I mean, and if you look at it team stats-wise, the Clippers averaged five more points. They only averaged one more rebound 
Uh, they aver- they only averaged two more assists. They averaged one more steal. Uh, they did average three more blocks, which were not. I mean, that's that created some break opportunities for them, which I think that they really capitalized on. Uh, they both averaged eleven turnovers. Uh, I mean, the Dallas Mavericks shot a better three-point. They shot 38% overall, a lot of that due to Luka. They shot 45% from the field while the Clippers shot 48 But the biggest telling was the free throws where, uh, where Dallas actually shot only 70% from the free throw line, Luka only shooting 52%. It wasn't what you would call a masterful performance from Luca, from that point of view, but if you just take away the free throws, which you really can't because they were huge in a lot of games, Luca looked a Luca looked a little timid trying to drive in the lane. He looks like he was settling. He was settling for a few more shots than he should have, um, and a lot of you know I didn't agree with a lot of it, but I mean he was still getting them to go. Uh, but he did look. He just didn't look like he wanted to drive in. Which when you're not making them, why would you want to drive in? Um, but I just don't I don't get why none of his teammates it seemed like Dorian Finney Smith was really the only one that wanted to step up. I don't understand it's I mean if you look at if you go to that other series that I was talking about, I mean at least Jokic had Michael Porter Jr. there. Uh Mont- he got Jokic had all this production from Guys like Monte Morris, Austin Rivers had some good games down a couple stretches. Yeah, I mean, Michael Porter Jr. was fantastic. 41% from three, 54% overall from the field. He was a 90% free throw shooter, even though he was only taking two a game. Um, so when you look at that and you look at just the production difference, uh, Campazzo is just a menace on the defensive end. He's like a termite that you can't get out of your house and – He's like a gnat flying around your face. Uh, Aaron Gordon averaged 12 and a half. Um, he was a 60% three-point shooter, 45% from the field. So you look at all of this production around him, and you wonder why a guy like Doncic can't get that. Well, honestly, the supporting cash just isn't that great. I mean, Michael Porter Jr. is better than better than any second guy that Dallas is going to run out there. Monte Morris is a better shooter than any person is going to run out there. Um, it's Aaron Gordon is good down low defensively. Uh, I'm really ready to see how the Suns play Denver. Um, what I'm what I'm expecting is they're going to force Doncic to be they're going to force him to be a scorer. They're not going to allow him to facilitate the way he wants to. Um, they're going to play a lot of one on one. Uh, the only problem is, is once, so you're going to probably see a lot of one-on-one defense with Aiton. Once Aiton's out, you'll probably see Crowder. Um, you may see Cam Johnson switch on him, which the size difference is going to be rough, so they'll have to come with some doubles off of that. But I think with Aiton on the court, what they're going to do is they're going to force, they're going to force Dodge, they're going to force Jokic to really come and be a one-man gang. They're going to stay tight. They're going to stay tight on the outside. They're going to let him have the inside. They're going to do some help defense, but they're not going to come with hard doubles. They'll probably come with some soft doubles, keeping that help defense intact um, and just force him to score, which I think is what, you know, people have said for years with LeBron is you got to force him to be 
a scorer and not a facilitator. And I think that that's what Phoenix is just going to have to do against Jokic because Jokic is going to get his points. He's going to make his plays. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's arguably the most unstoppable. Unstoppable. Him and Doncic are probably the most, the most unstoppable offensive forces in the league right now. Uh, or two of the most. I'm not going to say most because you still have guys like Kevin Durant uh, and James Harden sitting there who are one up on Milwaukee. I don't think it's time for Milwaukee to panic. Um, but tonight we get Denver Phoenix. We get the second game in Milwaukee, Brooklyn. And I think it's just going to be, I mean, you're telling me that Monte Morris and Austin Rivers are supposed to take are supposed to mitigate whatever Devin Booker and Chris Paul are going to do. Chris Paul is going to, Austin Rivers walks around with this nasty confidence that he's so much better than most people. And he honestly 100% believes he's the best player on the court. But then when you get to Phoenix, it's, it's a whole different story because you're not even the eighth best player on the court at that point. Uh, Phoenix is just going to, they're going to have a lot of offensive options. Uh, Cam Johnson has been playing fantastic uh, Payne has been playing fantastic off the bench. Uh, Chris Paul, of course, is going to do what he's going to do. And it's just going to be him, you know, getting to the middle of the court, opening the court up, getting those little mid-range shots to drop, opening up the court for Devin Booker. And I think that that's going to be one of the turning points is the backcourt brawl. I mean, you're going to have Aiton who is going to fight his ass off. Aiton showed in that eight because if you really look at it, Aiton one on one with AD was a big was a big part of that series. He was able to mitigate a lot of what AD did, especially in those first couple games. Um, AD ended up eventually figuring some stuff out, getting some shots that he wasn't getting early on. But Aiton, even against a healthy AD, was really holding his own. He was fighting his ass off. He was getting on the boards. You know, he was doing everything that you want a big man like that to do as kind of the third option on the team, even though at some points he looked like the fourth or fifth option behind Johnson, behind Payne, uh, behind Bridges, who is going to – Bridges and Payne, Bridges, Payne, Crowder, those guys will probably be handling Michael Porter Jr. There's not a lot of guys that you're going to have to double uh, because Devin Booker has really gotten better on the defensive end, so I think that Monte Morris and um, – I think that Monte Morris – and Austin Rivers and Campazzo, guys like that, are going to have a problem. Campazzo will probably play a lot of one-on-one on Booker um, with some help side D. But it's just the offense the offense compared to what Denver has and the way that they're going to be able to switch on defense uh, around the perimeter and the way that they're going to be able to throw a few looks at Denver to kind of m- possibly frustrate Jokic and frustrate the rest of his team and kind of throw them off their game. I still think Denver possibly has a shot just because they do have Jokic on their team. But Chris Paul looks like he's playing at exactly how he wants to play. Booker is finding his stride. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's fantastic uh, this, to watch this young kid in his first playoff series just going absolutely ballistic. Um, I loved watching it. I love watching Aiton the way he's playing. I just love the way this Phoenix team is constructed. Um, but if the Clippers are playing the way that they are, I don't see the Clippers being able – I don't see teams being able to handle them, uh, especially if 
Paul George is playing the way he's been playing. Uh, Kawhi Leonard has just been playing out of his mind, just getting any shot he wants. He doesn't care. Um, but against Utah, with what they're going to have, I mean, Donovan Mitchell, you know that you're going to get a lot of one-on-one defense. You're going to get a lot of one-on-one defense. Kawhi and all these guys are going to play up on him. Uh Conley, I think, is really going to have to produce in this. I don't. He's he's just he's going to have to come through a lot more than what he is really accustomed to. Even in the Memphis, I mean, in the Memphis series, he was amazing. But I still, you know, that was not against the defensive team that he's going to come up against when he's up against the Clippers. Uh, and then you've got Clarkson, who you've got Clarkson and Inglis, who are two six men of the year candidates. Uh, Clarkson winning it, Bojan Bogdanovic, I mean, Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert is, of course, the stifle tower in the middle. Royce O'Neal averaged 11 points a game in the last series, um, shot 50% from the field, 53% from three. This three-pointing team, Clarkson is really struggling for the three-point line. Uh, he took eight a game in that last series. Him and Mitchell took about the same. I feel like Clarkson goes searching for his shot a little too much sometimes, but I love guys who... I like guys like Austin Rivers, and I like guys who shoot with confidence because shooters are going to shoot. The only way that a shooter breaks out of his slump is if he shoots, uh, but 23% isn't going to cut it. Um, you know, We'll see how this actually goes down in this series. Maybe it was some mechanical issues. Maybe it was just nerves. We'll see. He still shot 40% from the field outside of his three-point shots. Um but what's crazy to me is the plus-minus for this Jazz team. In that Memphis series, Clarkson really, for their top like seven or eight guys, Clarkson is the only one who had a minus, and it was only a .4. You look at Mitchell, plus 12.5, 5.2 for Bogdanovich, 10.2 for Mike Conley, 11.8 for Rudy Gobert, 5 for Royce O'Neal, 5% for George Niang, who was shooting lights out, I thought. Um I thought he was, but then when you look at it, he shot 40% from three, but it was only one three-point made per game for to four attempts. So he only shot 34% from the field. So that's going to be something that's going to have to fix. The bench is going to have to come through great against this Clippers team who seem to be now showing – their bench seems to be showing their depth. Uh, Reggie Jackson played fantastic, especially you know over the final couple of games. And I don't know where Terrence Mann ended up coming from, but he was amazing, especially in the last couple of games, the way that he was able to bring that bench scoring. Um, and it's just, if you look at their, really their top five guys, they're going to be able to switch on anybody. I feel like Rondo may get a little more playing time in this just to kind of stifle that Denver team. But I mean, Reggie Jackson is a good defender. Uh, Morris and Batum are probably going to play down low. They can switch on the bigs, but you're not, I don't know who's going to play. The The difference now is they don't know. I don't know if they know who's going to play on Gobert uh, because of the height differential, because of his strength and length and the way he can get to the rim anytime he wants. Uh, once he gets the ball in the post, I don't know if more senior and Batum are going to be able to handle that. So you may see a lot of help defense, which is going to tear the Clippers apart. But they're definitely going to need guys like Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard to step up. Rondo's going to have to do a lot more than he has done. Um, you know, only 35% from three, 
from the field. So he's definitely going to have to, and that was in 18 minutes a game. So he's definitely going to have to do a lot more than what he wants. We're probably not going to, we may see Beverly a lot. They're probably going to throw a lot of smaller, a lot of their better defenders at him. So you'll probably see a big three guard rotation with Beverly Jackson and uh, Rondo. I don't know if they're going to risk. I, I feel like they're going to have to match the scoring. So if Terrence Mann is playing like he was playing, they're probably going to throw man out there and so that they can kind of kickstart the offense when they have to put their bench in. Um, so that's, I mean, and I don't want people to panic about, I don't want people to panic about either, either of the East series, uh, Milwaukee, you know, Middleton didn't have a great game in the first game. He's still going to, you know, he's going to be Middleton. He's going to have one of those games where he's, you know, he's going to have one of those breakout games where you're like, holy crap, this is what, you know, this is what he's capable of, but why can't he do it consistently? Um, in that first game, in that first game, I mean, he had, he had 13 points, but he only shot 26% from the field and didn't make a three. He shot 0% from three. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch. Giannis didn't hit a free throw in that game. Uh, Holiday was only one for three in that game. They didn't really get to the free throw line a lot, uh, especially with their main stars. Um, Giannis, of course, did what Giannis does. He actually shot 40% from three, only, but it's only two for five. Uh, he went 66% from the field. He had 34 points. Lopez had 19. Holiday had 17. So the bench production is there. It's the shooting percentages that have to get better. Uh Lopez, you know, he shot 72% from the field, so you can't really put a lot on him. He only he was 0 for 1 from three-point range. But if you look at Holiday and Middleton, 36% for Holiday, 26% for Middleton. Holiday only shot 28% from three. Tucker only shot 25% from three. Uh, he had seven points. So it's they're gonna need a lot more bench production. Uh and it's crazy. Teague actually played 13. They don't really have a truly deep roster, especially when they have to deal with this Brooklyn team where they have three guys who they can take they can take two off the court at a time and they're and they're perfectly and they're perfectly fine. Uh, you never feel like you can get back into the game once they get the lead. I feel like once they're up seven if they're up seven or eight points. You know, you can get it back within three or four, and then all of a sudden there's two threes down, and you're back down by nine or ten. So I don't. I think a lot of teams get discouraged going against Brooklyn. When you look across the court, you see these three guys, and you see them standing there, knowing that any of them can drop sixty on you tonight. Any of them can, you know, one of them can drop sixty, one's going to drop thirty-five, and the other one's going to drop twenty, and they're going to outscore all your starters just with those three guys. So it's. It's going to be really interesting to see how this series plays out. I don't understand the Philly series. I thought that um, I'm a, I'm in agreement with Bill Simmons. I think that if you're Philadelphia, uh, whenever Trey Young, whenever Trey Young is on is on the court, uh, you throw Tybalt at him, you throw that length at him, you throw that good defense. I mean, they've got they've got two defenders at the point guard position that they can throw at him and Simmons and Tybalt and really frustrate him. Uh, you know, force force him to play away from the rim, force him to play away from the three point line, force him high, get the ball out of his hands, force his other guys to do stuff. And 
I don't think Philadelphia really understood that. And I think Trey figured that out like right away that Philadelphia didn't quite understand how to play him. But as much as I talk crap about Doc Rivers, who I still don't think is a championship coach, I think that he inherits championship talent, but that's, that's something for another day. Uh, I think that he's going to make the necessary adjustments. I think that because Tybal isn't someone that you need on your offensive end, so you're not really worried about him playing offense. I think that whenever Trey Young is on the court, uh, you bring in Matisse Tybal, let him play defense on Young, and then when Young's taken out, you take Tybal off. And even if you, and I mean, if you leave Simmons, then at least you know you're not playing three on five. At least it's four on five because if you're playing Matisse Tybal and Ben Simmons at the same time, you're not you're not really worried about either one of them. So you're basically playing three on five. And with the game that Joel Embiid had for a guy who wasn't even supposed to play, dropping 39 points in 38 minutes, he only shot one for three from the field or one for three from three point, but he was 57 percent uh, from the field. Harris had a quiet 20. Curry had a nice little 21. Um, and if you look at those, if you look at these top four guys, Simmons had 17. Uh, he was only three for 10 from the free throw line. You're going to see them do that to him a lot down the stretch. Uh, he was seven for seven from the field only, and he didn't hit a three, of course. And he was only three for 10 from the free throw line. So what you're going to see them do a lot is a lot of teams are going to start hacking him really early on. Um, but their five guys, I mean, five of their guys were in double figures. Danny Green absolutely played terrible. Um, thank God he's not a second or third or fourth option anymore. But if you look at their top four guys, Embiid, Curry, Harris, Simmons, you all they all had plus minuses, plus 13 for Embiid, plus 16 for Curry, plus nine for Harris, plus four for Simmons. And then it's a huge drop-off. And Danny Green, as much as his shooting woes plagued him, he had a plus five. But then if you look at Tybo and Korkmaz, it's minus 12. But that's a lot of them on the offensive end. A lot of teams don't really respect them on the offensive end as they shouldn't. So that's what I mean when I say if you're going to bring Tybo in, then you put him in when Young's in the game. And then once Young is taken out, you put Tybo, you put Tybo back on the bench. You bring it. I, I'm a huge fan of Tyrese Maxey. He has a little bit more to go. I don't. It's not going to be this playoffs really to me that is going to be his coming out party. I think he still has a lot more growth. But if you're guys like Danny Green, George Hill, Shake Milton, who have been with this team, um, you're going to need to you're going to need to step up. Um, and it's crazy if you go to the Hawks side of the ball. Uh, Trey, 35 points, of course, by Donovich and College. Both both had 21. Um, Herger had 15. Capella had 11. The only problem with if you're trying to get the ball out of the Hawks' hands is if you look at it, they have so many. They have three or four other weapons that can get their shots. Uh, Kevin Herger has shown that he can get his shot when he needs to. Bogdan has shown that he can get to any spot he wants to. He can hit anything from behind the lot from behind the arc. You know, he's gonna get his he's gonna get his shots when he wants to. Um hurt like I said, Herder Gallinari has been fantastic for them throughout the playoffs. And actually, if they didn't fall asleep, if they didn't have the game in hand in that final, you know, in that final four or five minutes and they didn't fall asleep for those three minutes to allow Philadelphia back in the game. We're probably looking at Atlanta, you know, really running away with that by 10 or 15 points. 
But Trey Young actually had a minus 11, and Collins had a minus 12 in that game. Gallinari and Williams both had the higher plus minuses at 16 and 11. Actually, Kongwu had 13. He only played 11 minutes, but in those 11 minutes, they were plus 13. So they're getting some production from the bench. They're getting production from their role players, which is desperately needed in this playoffs where it's a lot of star versus star. Um, so that's going to be something to really look out for in these playoffs. I'm really excited. I'm wanting Chris Paul to make it to the finals. I think the Suns, to me, are the best team in the West left. Um, even with the Jazz there, I think the Suns can do a lot of stuff that can help them beat the Jazz. They can help them beat the Clippers. They can match defense for defense with the Clippers. They can switch on a lot of stuff. Um you know, just like the Clippers can. So I think that, you know, you run into trouble when you try those pick and rolls uh, because you're never going to – there's not a lot of favorable matchups that you're going to get. So I'm hoping and praying for the Suns to make it just because I want to see Chris Paul. I want to see what else Devin Booker's got. If we get the Hawks, what whoever comes out of the Nets and Bucks, I'm picking to win. I'm picking to win the Eastern Conference. So one of those teams, I think, faces the Suns. Uh, the Jazz and Clippers, I don't think the Nuggets are going to give the Suns as much of a problem as some people may think. Um, but I do believe that you know, the Jazz and the Clippers are the two teams that can really match the Suns offense for offense, defense for defense. So we'll see how that goes up. Now, I want to talk about a little something, a little something that happened last night. Uh, I am recording this at Five Central. Um, I do want to talk about something that happened last night. Uh, Logan Paul and Floyd Mayweather. I'm not a big fan of the Paul brothers. Uh, they've done some questionable stuff throughout their little YouTube careers. Um, they seem to be taking boxing somewhat seriously, and I and I do agree with Paulo Costa and Francis Ngannou. When you look at what these guys are getting paid for a fight in this fight alone for eight rounds of ballroom dancing and hugging. Uh, Logan Paul walked out with 30 mil in his pocket. Floyd Mayweather walked out with 118 mil. So if you really look at it, the pay is kind of a discrepancy, but I really just want to focus on what happened last night. Logan Mayweather didn't fight. Mayweather was there to collect a paycheck. Mayweather wasn't there to Mayweather wasn't there to fight. He wasn't there to box. He was there to collect his paycheck. He pulled another con job on us. The same con job he pulled with McGregor. He really talked up a big fight. He knew how to sell it. He knew people were going to buy it because he was there. And then he waltzed in and just casually went about his business. Knew that he didn't have to fight hard to stay in the ring with Logan Paul. I did. I do give Logan Paul credit. Uh, unlike his brother, he boxed a boxer. Boxed one of the greatest boxers we have ever seen. Um there was really only one round where I thought Mayweather was possibly trying. He did stun him one time, and there's been some videos shown. I've watched a few videos uh, where he actually knocks him out on his feet and kind of picks him up and you know lets him get his bearings back, and then they kind of lax off for the rest of the fight. Uh, but Mayweather definitely was not there to fight. He wasn't there to win. He was just there to get his paycheck. He was there to get in the ring, have a little fun. And that's what, that's basically what the whole thing was about. It was another con job. He walked away with 118 million. Congratulations. 
But Logan Paul, I have to give him credit where credit is due. It doesn't matter if Mayweather was there to fight. It doesn't matter if Mayweather was there to win or not. You lasted eight three-minute rounds with Floyd Mayweather, which is something you know not a lot of people can say they would do, especially you know someone who's been a YouTuber for their, you know, for most of their life. So it's really interesting that he was able to last those eight rounds. But what I do find interesting is his brother has become the main point of this controversy. Uh, his brother is not fighting anybody. He fought Ben Askren, who was a was a world renowned wrestler. He's fighting Tyron Woodley next, which guess what is a world renowned wrestler. He had a chance to call out. He had a chance to go big and call out someone who can actually stand toe to toe with him, and yet he didn't. Uh, so. And then in when when Mayweather and Logan had their little press conference, he decided to be a little twelve year old kid and take the hat off of Mayweather and say, "Ooh, I got your hat, uh, dumb fuck." That that wasn't. He was just trying to get his name in there. Uh, the reports were that Logan wasn't really happy with that. Uh, you know, Jake was still there to, of course, watch his brother. They're still family, but then he wanted to call out. Canelo, I think, put an emoji of a yawn, something like that, and Jake said he wouldn't last in the ring with him, all this, blah, blah, blah. So now Jake is calling out. He will never accept the fight. I don't think Canelo would ever do it, um, and I don't think Jake would ever ask for that fight. I think he's just talking out of his ass right now because he had to defend himself and he wanted to defend his brother, but Canelo would absolutely destroy Jake Paul. Jake Paul doesn't want any part of a real boxer. We've seen from his fight callouts, he doesn't want anyone who can actually stand up in a ring and actually take him out. Uh, like I said, at least his brother did. But I do want to talk down on Floyd Mayweather a little bit. As much as you know, as much as we want to praise, you know. You can talk about Logan Paul lasting, but it wasn't that he survived and it wasn't that he made it through. I think it was more of Mayweather allowed him to make it through uh, because I think that Mayweather could have taken him out at any time. Uh, I do, you know, he does have a nice chin on him. He took a few nice shots from Mayweather and was able to withstand him. But I don't think that Mayweather was actually there to take him out. And that's to me, is a detriment on it's it's a down point to Floyd uh, Floyd Mayweather um I thought that I really he conned me again I didn't watch it but you know I read a lot of reports I watched a lot of highlights um everyone Jake came out and said his brother beat Mayweather no he didn't Mayweather landed 14 40 percent of his strikes uh while Logan only landed 13% of his, and Mayweather really Mayweather only threw like 14 jabs, which is one of his major major points of points and the way that he kind of sets up a lot of his shots. Um, so that was really weird. But if you're Floyd Mayweather and you're going against, going against a guy like Logan or either of the Paul brothers, you have to. It's about defending the sport, and I know. A lot of people want to see, you know, what's happening, like these celebrities get in there and stuff like that. But you have to, there's a certain point to where you have to put your pride up. You have to put the respect of the sport up and you have to defend that. And I think that that's, I think that Tyron, I, and he really understands that the sport is 
you know, a lot of people don't want to see these guys in this sport. A lot of people like a Canelo and like an Usman see them as a detriment to the sport and how they're kind of making a joke of it. So I think that Tyron, you know, in his fight against Jake, I'm hoping that he does. I'm hoping that we get, you know, kind of the old T Wood uh back um in this one fight. I'm hoping that he just goes out there, even if I mean, just throw Hayes make just throw hate makers, man. If you connect, you connect. He's got one of the most powerful. He's got some powerful one punch power. Even though he's not a striker, he's going to train with Mayweather before the fight, though. So we'll see how that goes. But I'm hoping that we get a little bit of the old T Wood, a little bit of that nasty, you know, nasty dog mentality where he's willing to do anything to win a fight. Um, and I, I really think that we're going to get that. Maybe he's conning me again. Maybe I'm just super optimistic. You know, I'm not a big fan of Jake. I'm much more of a fan of Logan than I am Jake, even though I'm not a fan of either one of them. But I want to see Jake knocked out. I want to see Jake on his back, and I want to see him out of combat sports. And I think a lot of people want to see him out of combat sports. And I think that's one of the biggest gripes is you're sitting here in this position, and, you know, you're not – I understand trying to get your record up, and you're – you know, if you are taking boxing seriously, because they actually do train. They train at boxing, and I got to give them kudos for that. But at some point, you have to fight someone – who is an actual boxer. So we'll see how, we'll see how all that goes. You know, we'll see what happens with the Woodley fight and then see what happens with Jake afterwards. But at some point it's gotta, it's, it's gotta be too, it's gotta be too much. You know, you can't make this professional wrestling and I love professional wrestling, but you can't, this can't be it. This is a serious sport. This is a serious combat sport. You know, you have people like me who are diehards who love it. You know, I've kind of got out of boxing just because I think that boxing has kind of gone downhill. They don't really put a lot of fights together that a lot of people, you know, kind of want to see. It's not a lot of super fights, not a lot of big name versus big name like the UFC, like what Dana White has done, who has consistently called out the Paul brothers or really not called them out. He declines to talk about them a lot just because of how ridiculous this stuff has become. Uh, but it's, Boxing really has a real problem, and that's for you know that's a conversation for another day. But these YouTubers are gonna disgrace it even more uh, unless they actually want to do this for a living. Um, just doing this for a hobby and doing it on this grand stage, I don't think sits well with a lot of diehards, with a lot of big fans of boxing or any combat sport. And I think that's what gets us the most. Um, but they keep calling themselves professional boxers, and they're not. They haven't fought anyone professional. They don't want to fight anyone professional except Logan Paul, uh, who for some reason, like I said, both him and his brother still claim that they beat Mayweather, which is ridiculous. Uh, every outlet that I've watched clearly had Mayweather dominating that fight, even though he wasn't really fighting. That show that goes to show you right there. Mayweather, I would take Mayweather at 2% over a Logan Paul at 100% just because of how talented he is, even at that age, just because of how talented he is. So it goes to show you what he could have actually done if he would have actually wanted to fight with how dominant he was in that fight. Um, a lot of 10, a lot of, most of them 10-9 rounds, a couple of them 10-8, but that was because, like I said, he wasn't really there to fight. Um, I know I'm a beating the dead horse with that, but I really truly believe that, that Mayweather, with how dominant he was, could have ended that fight at any time he wanted, and he just wanted to keep it going for the fans. And I understand it was an exhibition. 
Um, so, you know, but we'll see what happens with these down the line. I'm not a huge fan of it. Kids love it, of course, because they're YouTubers. This is what they've grown up on. So, you know, for the kids, it's amazing. But for diehard fans like us, don't call yourselves professional boxers. Um, cause you're not, I don't care what you say. I don't care if you did just last eight, three minute rounds with Mayweather, you're not a professional boxer until you actually go out there and have an actual fight with someone who's actually trained in the skill, not a KSI or someone like that who does it a little bit here and there, but someone who trains every day of their life to be the best at what they do. Um, so we'll see if that happens down the road. We'll see if they're serious about professional boxing. And if they do become serious about professional boxing and they succeed, more kudos to them. Uh, if they're just trying to up their stats and up their records right now, I, I understand. A lot of boxers do that. A lot of young boxers do that. Uh, as a matter of fact, there was a story about Derek Lewis and George Foreman's son uh, where Lewis actually told this a little while back to where Lewis was in the gym. Uh, George Foreman came in. They were looking for someone to battle his son, uh, to fight his son. They were just looking for up-and-comers because they were trying to up his son's record. And they put Lewis in a little sparring match. Lewis beat the shit out of one of his teammates. And they and then Foreman started training him. They, you know, Lewis said that they set him up in a – in an apartment like across from the gym they gave him a car and stuff you know you know help him get around and stuff and then he ended up deciding he wanted to do mma instead of boxing and they took that <laughs> they took it away from him but you know it's Derek lewis who knows you know but i'm like i said i'm just really excited to see this we have an amazing mma card coming we have an amazing ufc card coming up saturday uh, I'm really excited to see that. I have a wedding to go to, but I'm going to be keeping up with it. Of course, I'll watch. Uh, if I don't get to see the fights live, I'm going to keep up with the results, and I'll go watch them back before I do my next episode on them just so I can stay caught up. Um, that's really all I wanted to talk about today. Uh, you know, it's it's been great going solo. Hopefully soon I can have uh, – some friends on with me, some people on with me. We'll see, but, uh, tune in, you know, just keep tuning in guys. As long as I have listeners, you know, even if it's just a few, even if it's, I don't care if it's one or two, I'm going to keep doing this. I'm going to keep doing this because it's what I do. It's what I love. Uh, you know, I do have other stuff going on in my life. I wish that I could do this for a living. Um, but you know, maybe sometime in the future, but for right now, it's just something that I love and I plan to keep doing it more and more. Uh, more and more episodes are coming as I get comfortable with some more stuff. But uh, like I said, just keep tuning in. Once again, if you want to, if you want to support the podcast, if you want to donate, uh, just go to the listener support link um, in the anchor account, and uh, I will see you guys probably Wednesday or Thursday. <laughs>